G'day and welcome back to another week of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. As always, I'm your host, Oli Laleve, and this week we're sitting down with one of the 2023 Evoke Ag Future Young Leaders, Molka Lara Mulkenshavel. Now, Molka is incredible. I saw her present at Evoke Ag this year on the stage, and she was chatting about this recruitment app that she's been working on for quite some time. It's called Limbo. Pretty well what she wants to do is mix a little bit about what the good parts are of dating apps and actually help to humanise the recruitment process in agriculture. But Molka's story is a fascinating one. Both her mum and dad have been involved in agriculture since, well, she was very, very tiny. She grew up in South America, moved to Italy before moving across to Australia. Uh, Her story is seriously interesting and cool. And I think when she talks about agriculture back home in South America, she talks about things like tortoises and porcupines, and it is certainly worlds away from anything that I've ever experienced. But I found this chat really interesting. What I wanted to understand a little bit more from Molka was that where the, the interest and passion came from to pursue agriculture after studying a commerce degree, and then also what has led her to juggling both full-time work with one of the major banks working in their agriculture sector, but also creating a side hustle for recruitment and what that journey's been like. Through the Future Young Leaders program, she's been incredibly fortunate to meet some amazing people and it's spurred her on to where she is now, which is in the final stages of developing this app, which is going to be really interesting to see how and where it goes. So let's get into it. Malka, we first met, or where I really saw you coming to your own was at Evoke Ag this year, Future Young Leaders. You stood on that stage and absolutely owned it in the main plenary area and shared an area which you're really passionate about, being around how do we actually recruit people and give people the opportunity to actually understand what is a career in agriculture and what could it actually be. So I found your talk amazing, but I want to understand a little bit more about your background and what is it up to this point that's made you so passionate about agriculture and I guess the people side of it as well. And then also where you kind of see it going and and want to take it. What are some of those big dreams, but welcome to the Humans of Ag podcast. Thank you. Malka, I want to start off because we've chatted a couple of times and you've got a really interesting background. Life for you started in in South America and something I'm always really fascinated to find out from people is when it comes to this influence of agriculture today, people are so drawn to it. So for you, what's your earliest memories of agriculture? Yeah, so I've been lucky enough to always have had some kind of contact with that. My mum and my dad are both in agriculture, both studied agriculture. They actually met at uni studying ag, so they're very much ag match when you're at uni, (laughs) which is cute. So then they moved out to my dad's farm and I was born. That's where my mum went through her pregnancy and stuff and I was born there and yeah, had those sort of my earliest memories. So he had a chicken farm. And I used to play around with little chicks and had like my first horse called Becas, which was white and had black polka dots everywhere. And yeah, just riding along, holding on to my dad and my mum and being on the farm. And then eventually, yeah, moved back to the city. But my mum especially always worked in cattle stations. So we always went out um, and spent a few weeks at a time there while I was growing up too. So yeah, it goes way back to when I was in the womb. <laughs> when you say cattle stations, what are the cattle stations like over in that part of the world? Yeah. Because it's tropical country, so the temperature doesn't vary a lot. So I guess you could think of it as like Middle East Asian, like a sort of land. And yeah, very rich. So you only really have dry season, wet season. This particular station was 
Yeah, it was just really cool. It, it, it was basically just all cattle. And then they had a big, what they called like a conservation research centre. And the station was that big that it actually had a school in the centre of it. And the bus would pick up all the kids on a weekend and they would all stay in the boarding school in the middle of the station for the week. And then they'd go back to their houses all around the station. So yeah, very big operation. Everything was done on horses, just like wetlands, very flat country. Yeah, just really cool. And then, you know, that research centre had a lot to do with the bio like side of it. So they used to do lots of research with crocodiles, with anteaters, like all sorts of animals around because it was such a, like such a diverse spot. Incredible. So was it really obvious to you from those early days that you were interested in agriculture? Yeah, I always loved it. I was a tomboy. I think like I was running around wearing shorts until I was like 11 years old. (laughs) And yeah, I absolutely loved it. I think I thinking about it when I was going through school and through uni, I don't think that I was necessarily like, yes, Aggie is something that I definitely see myself doing. But I think when I look back to my fondest memories of having dirt all over my body and my mum just grabbing the socks and being like, these aren't even worth throwing in the washing machine. <laughs> like they're just going straight in the bin. Like, you know, what makes me happy is, is that. So it's yeah, no surprise that I've ended up back here really. And you've transitioned a little bit. You've gone from, you've covered a couple of continents, South America, Europe, and then obviously Australia. But what was, I guess, that pathway? What was your mum doing in and around agriculture that saw her moving around those areas? Yeah, so my mum's pretty cool. I think she's probably my hero, <laughs> um, as soppy as that sounds. But she uh, started her career playing tennis. So she was a really, really good tennis player, which I spoke about at Evocag. And I just find that really interesting because people don't know that about her. Um, and she's very humble about it. But once you find out, you sort of go, oh, wow, like you've done all these things. You know, how come, you know, you know you've moved around and you've like lived the life you've lived? So that's sort of her earliest, I guess, achievement, you know, started the Junior World Tour, like she was in the US every summer, training camps, that sort of thing, and then decided to come back home. And my grandpa had a farm and I think she lived there for a while and then she decided to open an ag consulting company and then that's how she worked for stations and then we sort of travelled around a lot as she went on different farms. And then, yeah, sort of, I guess, unfortunate that there was a political crisis in Venezuela and, you know, it sort of drove everyone out. But the first industry to really get impacted was agriculture just because the government was socialist and didn't believe that one person or one company could own that much land. So it was sort of the first thing to get really hit. So then my mum decided to try Europe. So we moved to Italy to see what agriculture was like over there and whether it was something viable and something that she would enjoy. And yeah, things weren't there great there either. There was an economic crisis and no one could find jobs. And yeah, it was a little bit tricky. So we ended up going back. So we were only there for about nine months, sort of testing the waters, went back to Venezuela and she said, all right, I'm going to apply for, you know, like the dream countries to be in, in terms of agriculture and in terms of cattle experience that she'd had. I think Northern Australia was very much similar to what South America is like. So that's, I think, what drove her to Australia. And then Canada was also looking for skilled labour in agriculture. So yeah, she did her visa process and Australia was very keen to have her on board and especially South Australia and Western Australia. So We got a visa pretty quickly. I think it was within a year. And then, you know, we just made our choice between Canada and Australia. And I think the decider was the fact that Canada is very cold. And (laughs) in Venezuela, we're in the equator. And I don't think it changes. If it goes below 20, it's a cold day. And if it goes above 25, it's a really hot day. (laughs) Quickly decided on Australia. 
so that's like I guess her like our journey moving from there to here and the reasons which aren't necessarily you know like your typical reasons for moving but you know is is what it is well f- yeah a fair amount of adversity that was happening I guess in the background and things that your mum had no control over good choice I reckon because Canada you would have been spending six months just sitting inside the house trying to stay warm <laughs> yeah hibernating I remember when I, I went over in the year that I, I went to work there. And I got there at the end of April, which is meant to be like coming into spring or whatnot. And it was like minus 11 or something like that. It was the first time in my life I felt the cold literally come straight through the boots, in through your socks, and you could feel it in your bones. And it, yeah, no, thank you. No, not about that. <laughs> Has your mum chatted much to you about, like, I guess the perspectives and what Australia has actually then given her both from a career perspective, but actually just in the society that we've got in Australia? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So many stories, so many different perspectives. So just even the way you do things. I remember we went out when she was applying for a job down south in Meningi in South Australia, and we went to a feedlot and they had sort of the yards going and the cattle were going through. And like, I remember as a little girl going in South America to the stations and they'd be like, it was like a construction site. There was like 35 people doing a job on farm and it was just a ridiculous amount of people really now thinking back on it. But then, you know, we went out here in Australia and it was like two people and they were just doing absolutely everything. And my mum was like, this is crazy. Like it's literally five people running this entire property. And over there it would be like 100 people and 20 people on a horse just watching one cow like go across <laughs> So I think obviously that's got to do with, you know, the cost of labour and, you know, all sorts of different things that come into it. But that was probably the first thing that was really shocking because that comes with a whole lot of other things. It means that you can't have a person with, you know, one skill. It means you need to find someone with every single skill that can multitask and do absolutely everything. And then it brings in the, you know, safety aspect of it and the risk and everything else that it involves. So that was probably the most shocking when we first got here. And when you went through school, was it really obvious? Like, what were the deciding factors? Your mum was working agriculture here in Australia. You'd had such a unique experience looking at all sorts of different animals. I don't think there's many ag conversations I've had where anteaters and tortoises and things come into it. (laughs) (laughs) Did you go and study agriculture at uni? No, I didn't. I did commerce at uni. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, to be completely honest. I always had that exposure to ag. And even though I finished school in the city and I was probably there for more than half of my life, it was every weekend or, you know, every holiday, I would be out in the regions or I would be on farm or I would be around agriculture. So I think it wasn't really evident to me, I guess, really is a short answer. And so now that you're on the other side of that, once you're going through and studying your commerce degree, How did you end up coming back into agriculture? Yeah, so like everyone or most people, I just applied for the big fours coming out of, you know, studying economics and finance and that sort of thing. So, you know, big four accounting firms and big four banks. And yeah, I think the graduate program, there's lots of them. And I just thought, I just don't really want to be stuck in an office. It's not really me, like, but I still want to challenge myself and do something. So I think the grad program... For A and Z, it had those three six-month rotations across regional Australia, and that's really what drove me. And I think if I hadn't got that, I mean, it's, I don't know what I would have done, but I was definitely willing to, at the time, move absolutely anywhere and do anything. So I was literally like looking at things in Europe, you know, what you could do, and I was very open to absolutely whatever it was. So, you know, if you'd invited me on a station at that time, I 
wouldn't have bat an eyelid. I would have just packed up my bags and gone. So I think that was really the driving factor for me to um, apply for that job. So this kid who was a tomboy who just ended up throwing socks and all your clothes out because you just love the outdoors. These days you're working in an office. So do you feel stuck when you're working in an office or is it, have you kind of evolved and got used to it and, and there's benefits to it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm not sure if it's necessarily perfect. I think that this job is pretty cool in that I do get to still go out. So even though, you know, I'm in an office most of the time, like I do get, you know, my few trips here or there going to see different clients and getting out. Probably my biggest relief is going home. My parents are now in Toowoomba. So when I go there, it's sort of just a bit of an escape. And before it was even more remote when they lived in Inverell. So that's probably definitely something I've always needed. I think, yeah, I love post-COVID world where you don't have to go into the office every day. Sometimes I look around when I'm walking into the office and then I'm just like into in a sea of suits and I think, oh my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> but, you know, there's I'm sure that everybody has those days. So... Yeah, I'm not sure I've struck the perfect balance at this stage, but I think the skills that I'm learning now are going to be so valuable for whatever I do later on. And that's what I sort of hold on to right now. I find it interesting. And it, like, I, I don't spend any time like in Melbourne or Sydney CBDs, but like I used to. And I kind of love the buzz that you get in that rat race. There's parts of it, which obviously isn't that appealing, but there is this, I don't know, I guess it's similar in some like to what you can get in sporting scenarios in some sense that feel but when you walk into an office there is I guess there is a different feeling of like getting shit done (laughs) yeah absolutely and I think it's that whole stigma of high pressure high bars like it really is like that and you walk in and everyone's working and you're in an open floor environment and it's just that pressure competition like you know get things going and I think like I said those skills are so valuable then if you do go on you know if I do go on to work on a family farm or another operation somewhere else it's going to bring me that you know, skill and organization and like that sort of aspect of life. And like, I think while I'm young, that buzz is really exciting. So I'm holding on to that at the moment. And I 100% agree with you. Like there's definitely an element of, yeah, like this is cool. (laughs) I'm part of this cult. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's fun. And I think you you learn so much of it, which I'd love to know coming through that graduate program, you're working in corporate agribusiness banking, you'd see some really interesting businesses and exposure to it. So for people who have no idea of what it's like to work inside, I'll say one of the the big institutions, but working in agriculture, what's something about it that's maybe opened your eyes about the way, yeah, I guess it works, but actually agriculture's influence as well in these organizations? Yeah, absolutely. Well, at the moment, obviously confidential and I can't say too much, but I think it's really cool to see the cross-industry effect that we have in agriculture. So a lot of the time, the bank, we we are segmented and, you know, people, there's a property team and there's a commercial team and there's an agri team and that's really cool. And they sort of all do their own thing. But then sometimes, and I think where there's a lot of crossover is actually in agriculture. And and some of these conversations go all the way up to almost like the exec or Shane Elliott, who's the CEO, because it's like, where should this fall? Like technically this is agriculture, but we're working across all of this. And at the moment, got a client who's basically all over Australia. They've got things happening in Queensland, things happening in New South Wales, things happening in Tassie. And even that conversation is like, who's going to manage this? You know, because there's everywhere and it just brings so many people together. And then it's around, you know, well, if you're leasing country, then technically that's not agriculture. It might be property or, you know, if then, but then you've, you know, you've got cattle production. So then that's got to do with agriculture, but then they've also own whatever it might be. So I think 
seeing that from this perspective really makes you realize how much of an impact there is in different areas of the bank. Like we're really not just agriculture, but it involves everything else. So yeah, that's really exciting. I think something else that's different and like, I think everyone will say this about agriculture, the people, even though, like we said, we're sort of, like I said before, you sort of walk in all in suits and you sit down and that sort of thing. Like I think our culture just within our team, like we sit with, you know, might be 10 different teams. I feel that it's very different and it's nice. Like it's a nice different, you know, it's people perhaps that have farms and they go out there on the weekends and they only come in twice a day. And it's just a very down to earth, I feel, feeling. And I think that's what we all have in common in agriculture. It's that, and perhaps it's because the knowledge of, you know, where we know where things come from and we know how much work it takes to get that, you know, from paddock to play or that whole logistics line where you're traveling hours to get from point A to point B. And I think that gives you so much, it's almost like life experience in a way that it's one of those things where if you don't know about it, you just don't get it. It's like, if you know, you know, and I think you definitely get that feeling even, you know, in the middle of Melbourne CBD, when you're sitting with your team, it's just that, oh, this is a bit of home, you know? (laughs) It definitely is. I think that's such an important point. I've chatted to a few different people that have jumped around and they feel like that real piece of belonging like and connection into agriculture really does come back in through its people. So I guess it's different for different people, but like everyone on the chat to it always comes back to there's something special about the people in it. Yeah. Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www dot rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. So I want to come and chat to you a little bit about Limbo, but I think, well, yeah, from a timeline perspective, what came first, Avocag's Future Young Leaders or Limbo? Uh, Limbo came first and then, yeah, through that, I think all the connections and networks I made led me to Future Young Leaders. So let's chat about what Limbo is. What was the the problem that you kind of saw and that you actually wanted to do something about? Yeah, so coming out of school, going into uni, I think it's almost a black and white decision. Like people go into unis and schools and they go, you know, what do you want to do? And it's like, oh, my God, I have to decide what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, you know, in this hour session with this careers counsellor. And I think it's all the stereotypes of everything. You know, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, or you're going to do commerce, or, you know, you're going to do science. And I think it just all comes back to how we view the world and what experiences we have and what kind of networks we have around us. And I think when I went through that process and I finished uni and I applied for the big fours and I was lucky enough to get into one of those, but then I saw all my friends and all the people that didn't. And it's like, what do you do then? You know, if if you're not following that pathway that's set out, you know, in society, then where do you fall? And I think that's where the problem really came in because it was a matter of not only 
what do I do and not knowing what to do? But then it's like, where do I go to find that? And in our generation, I find that really difficult. It's like information overload when you're trying to find things about the news. You know, you can find an article about how coffee's good for you, but you can find an article about how coffee's horrible for you and you should never drink it again. So it's one of those things where what do you trust and where should you go and who do you, you know, how do you even begin? And I think when I stripped it back and when I was really thinking about this process of where should I go and is this something that I want to do and where else can I apply, it was just so, for lack of a better word, boring. (laughs) Like it just wasn't an exciting process for something that I was really excited about. Like I wanted to do something exciting. I wanted to have an impact. I was so keen. And then the process was, you know, write a cover letter on why you think you have the skills. And it's like at that point, I probably don't even know what skills, you know, are actually good or what my better skills are. So I think for all those people, and there's such a big wave of them, you know, all year round looking for these like young people that aren't sure what they want to do. It's just so blind. Like you're going in and you're just looking at black and white words and a description that, you know, is copy pasted over five different jobs and five different companies that all look the same. Like I always joke with my friends and I say, yeah, I'm an analyst. And it's like, what is an analyst? Well, I don't know. I could do anything. <laughs> like, and you just wouldn't know what I'd do. So yeah, I think that's where it really started the problem. And then as I was doing my grad program, I listened to this speaker at a GRDC event that spoke about the generational gap in how we work these days and how, you know, back in the day, someone would go into a job and then stay there for 40 years and that was their career. And they were very loyal and very, you know, to their company and the values and everything that they were. And then nowadays you know you within the first three years you might have moved across five different jobs or whatever it might be just because you're trying different things out so there's definitely a generational gap I think but then there's also an information barrier and how we communicate is very different to how we used to and I think the world has moved but the recruitment process has stayed very traditional and so I I just believe that there's you know we can just close that gap and make it so much easier for people to understand where they're going You're definitely onto a good thing because I think back to, well, for jobs that I've applied for or whatnot and exactly to your points, that whole context, it's like, oh, well, this is my strength here that I'm a people person. But if I'm applying to be an analyst, well, it's actually probably a weakness that all I want to do is chat to people. So it's probably not going to paint me in the best light. But when we were hiring and obviously people trying to be proper and whatnot, like, and respectful is probably like a really important one. But when I was trying to hire someone for to come in and join Humans of Agriculture and one, I, like I, I guess I feel so passionately about it and personality and how I get on with someone is going to be so important for it, that when the first thing I read was like, to whom it may concern, I was like, oh, like, or dear sir, it's like, this is horrible. There is nothing fun, interesting, actually why we exist, what we're about. This process actually reflects none of it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what you're taught to do as well. So, you know, it, it might be someone really cool who will get along with you 100%, but on the page, on the page that's what they're going to do because that's what you've been taught to do. So, yeah, it's not really matching up, is it? So a question for you. You've seen the problem. Lots of people kind of, I guess, identify these different things and go, oh, yeah, that should be done. Why have you actively pursued doing something about this? I just think, well, firstly, I, I love a challenge and I think that, like, I thrive off actually building something like I'm very creative in that sense and I just once I think about a problem I just really want to fix it (laughs) and I think that's really what led me to thinking about you know a lot of the time there's problems that you look at every day and you sort of go yeah okay whatever like move on and I think this problem just really stuck with me and it must have been obviously because I resonated with it and I think 
when it got to the point that I actually thought of a solution, like I thought, do you know what? Why can't we just talk to that person? Or why can't we just see a little clip of what they're about? Like we just need a glimpse of what this is so that I know whether I'm interested or not. And then that whole thought process led me to, well, it's really not that different to dating, which is exactly what you're saying. It's about personality. And, you know, you can have a coffee with someone and within five, 10 minutes, you know, if you're going to get along with them or not. And especially if you're going to be sitting in an office or or doing work with them day in, day out. And it's like, you know, you spend basically just as much time with your family at home than you do with that person who you're sitting next to at work. So the more I came up with a solution, the more I just got really invested in it. And I think the more I found out, the worse it got, like the more you know, the less you want to know sort of thing in terms of, okay, yes, that's a barrier because, you know, we don't want to write resumes anymore. And okay, yes, that's a barrier because of this. And then it just kept, like, it was just a a snowball effect of all of these things. And the more people that I spoke to about it, the more people also resonated with me. And I think that's really been my drive to keep pushing forward has been the fact that the validation behind, yes, we need something and we want something. We just don't know exactly what it is. And I would just love to you know, and it might not be me and it might not be limbo, but I would love for someone to actually come in and fix that problem because I just think it's so crucial to everything really that we do. So let's chat about the Future Young Leaders program at Avocag. Firstly, how did you come across it? I think it was just, it popped up. So good media, good marketing by them. (laughs) It must've popped up somewhere. It was just a really cool conference. I think I must've clicked on their site and I saw videos of the last future young leaders. I mean, I thought that was really cool. And then I brought it up at dinner one night and someone said, yeah, you definitely need to apply to that. I know what it's all about. That's a really big conference. Like, you know, do it. And then as I was doing my application, I was sort of half-heartedly, you know, three quarters of my way through. And I thought, oh, it's due in a couple of days. And I actually went to Sam's house, Sam Noon, who you know, and I spoke to her about it, ignorantly not realizing that she actually worked at AgriFutures as well. And she was like, yeah, you definitely need to apply to that. Like, are you crazy? You have to finish your application. (laughs) So it was a mixture of, you know, myself being driven by the idea, thinking it was really cool. And then people around me going, yeah, like this message needs to be out there and you need to do it. So to actually hit submit on the application for people who don't have a Sam Noon in their life, why would you recommend that people give it a crack? Honestly, you never know. It's like we were saying before with the startup world, you know, it's the what if. Like what if you actually got in and what if it actually worked and what if you could actually change the way things are done? You know, and if you don't do it, you just never know. And it's like applying for a job. Like if you don't apply, like what's the worst that can happen? You don't get it. Well, you're back to the exact same position you were in right now. So, you know, I think if you think that that there might there's potential or there might be something or there's even a little glimpse of, hope that you have an idea or you want to see if people are really keen on it like I think definitely do it because not even if you don't get through or even if it's not what you thought it was it really doesn't change anything the position that you're in now and so I think I need to check the criteria but like for people you can have an idea you don't have to have a fully formed business or anything like that to actually step in did your idea evolve and change as you actually started to meet these different people and chat to them and sharpen as you went through Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of the biggest things about thinking about a solution and to apply for the future young leaders, you don't even have to have a startup idea at all. Like you can be a thought leader. You know, we had two or three thought leaders in there that just spoke about what they really see the future of agriculture being, or even just talking about 
Like if I didn't have the idea of limbo, I could still talk about recruitment and what I think would change it and or, or what I think could be done better. So definitely don't have to be an entrepreneur or anything like that by any means. I think it's just a really exciting concept and even just the idea of standing there and the skills that you learn of public speaking too, something that's mind-blowing and I just never thought I could do. <laughs> Were you comfortable as a public speaker before you stepped into it? I wouldn't say I like, I wasn't uncomfortable in the sense that I did debating when I was, you know, in middle school. And so I'd always sort of done, like I'd done a few speeches before, but I mean, 1,600 people, <laughs> that's a whole other ball game. And especially when you're talking about something you're passionate about, it becomes a little bit vulnerable because it's this is my perspective and this is my view. And it's a little bit different to talking about a debating topic where you can just look up the facts and this is what it's about. So, yeah, definitely a different ballpark altogether. <laughs> it was a friggin' big stage, big screens, everything like that. <laughs> what was running through your head when you are up there? Honestly, all I can remember, like it's something that you just, it just happens and then you finish and you just go, oh, wow, I did that. And I think the biggest point for me when I realized, oh my God, I'm actually doing this was the day before we did a dress rehearsal. And we've been rehearsing this for weeks and weeks. Like it wasn't, I didn't just stand up and present that. Like it definitely wouldn't have been that great. (laughs) So definitely don't think that you have to be that well presented to begin with. Like it was definitely a work in progress. But the day before I felt a little bit like, Lizzie McGuire movie when they put the microphone on me and it was a dress rehearsal. I had to put my whole outfit on and I went out the back and they clipped my mic to, you know, my pants and, and, you know, they fitted me in and then they said, all right, go on, like do it as if you were doing it. And I stood up there and I started speaking and the microphone echoed. So everything that I was saying, I could hear myself say the second afterwards. So I got completely stuck and I just went, oh, I've just forgotten my whole speech because not only was I speaking and thinking about what I was going to say next, but then I could also hear myself saying what I just said. It was like an echo. Oh, it was horrible. And I walked out of there and I actually thought, I'm not going to be able to do it. <laughs> like, this is too much. And I went to the hotel room that night because I was on the next morning and I thought, well, like, I can't make a fool of myself. Like, I have to be able to do this. And this is how, if this is how the microphone is going to be, I have to practice with this. So I actually put a music on really loud in my room and I started saying my speech and I thought, if I can get through this with the distraction of music, I can get through it tomorrow morning. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's exactly what I did. And then the next morning it was fine. Like the microphone was completely fixed and there was no echo, thank God. But I was really freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and practice makes perfection is what they say. Yeah. What happened after that? Obviously, you had the chance to speak in front of so many people. Quite overwhelming in the sense of, one, the message you delivered was on a topic which is actually a real key issue. But two, it was incredibly factual, but it actually painted a vision for how this is the problem, but this is actually how it can be overcome. So what happened once you walked off stage? Yeah, it was insane. Like as soon as I walked down, I was sitting by myself because I had to like I, I was a speaker and then they had to get my microphone off. So I sat down and I looked at my phone and like, no joke, it was pink. Like it was going off already of people that I just had no idea. Like I'd never met these people before. People congratulating me, people saying, you know, can we chat later? And I just thought, do you know what? Like that moment actually almost made me cry because I just thought that is all the validation of all the hard work of, you know, this is the problem, this is the solution, but it's also... People recognize the problem and they want to do something about it. You know, it's not 
like as a young person standing up there, like it's really intimidating and, you know, I'm not in a leadership position and I'm not a super powerful person that can has 10 years of experience. And I think the fact that people can really resonate with it, like I think it's just a true issue. And yeah, that was just a really special moment, I think. So what's next for you guys? Where have you got to? That was February of this year. We're now in August. What happened since then today? Yeah, so... Uh, We had a couple of deep brief sessions just going, reviewing, obviously, the experience, who we chatted to, who we wanted to chat to if we didn't get a chance to talk to them. And then I've actually been meaning to reconnect with Bryce as well. I think he's, yeah, I'm really excited to have his involvement in the project of where we are so far, but he's obviously, unfortunately, going through some personal issues at the moment. But yeah, super supportive. Like every time I've reached out, it's been really cool. I've also reached out and seen a couple of the future young leaders that were in my cohort that have helped me since too. I did a program through Silicon Valley that I got in, in terms of like the limbo, the startup world and, you know, how I was going to make this thing happen. And I learned the difference between coding and non-coding apps and how I'm actually going to build this thing if, if it's going to become a real thing. Um, and I can kind of say that I've worked out how to build the app and we have like sort of a mock-up version and I've got someone who's helping me do it. So We've definitely come a long way and I think now we're at the point where we're sort of like, okay, we have a lot of the established pieces. We've got like all the pieces of the puzzle, we have to put them together and execute them in the right way to sort of move forward. So it's been a really exciting journey. It definitely hasn't been easy, but, you know, we're just keeping on going. (laughs) So choosing the non-coding angle, I presume? Yeah, for the moment, yeah. It's really funny because when I did my last econometrics two exam, which was like the hardest economic subject I had to do, I walked out and I vividly remember calling my mum and being like, that is the last economic subject I've ever done. And it involved a lot of coding. And I said, I will never, you could not pay me a million dollars to code or learn coding in my life. And here I am like literally looking up how do you learn to code? <laughs> like, how does this work? What does it mean? So, yeah, never say never because it might actually sting you in the butt. <laughs> yeah, and you're going to do it for free. Yeah. <laughs> Voluntarily putting myself in this pain. <laughs> yeah. How do you fit it all in alongside working full-time and doing this on the side? You know, all I can think when I think, oh, I just really don't feel like doing this today or, you know, I'm so stuck, I don't know where to go next, <laughs> actually. And this is for all the mums out there. I just think if mums can do a startup with little kids, like what am I complaining about? (laughs) Like, and that's honestly what goes through my head because I don't know, I just have so much respect for women and like, especially mums out there, you know, working full time and having kids in itself is, you know, crazy. And I just think, why am I complaining about sending an email, you know, at 8 p.m.? (laughs) Like, it just makes no sense. So I found it might be a different answer to what you expected, but I honestly look up to the mums. <laughs> a little bit of inspiration. They are the real life superheroes. Yeah. So a couple of questions to wrap on. One which I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. So I'd be interested, given your background, what you're actually trying to do in the recruitment space for agriculture. But if you had the chance to go and chat at one of the metropolitan schools to year 10 students about a career in agriculture, what would you say to them about why they should consider it? I would say agriculture is not what you think. And even if you don't go and study agriculture and that's not what your passion is, you know, like if you really like technology, if you really like marketing, if you, you know what, even if you want to be a doctor, like everything is linked back somehow to agriculture because agriculture 
a lot of the time is in regional communities and regional communities for them to function, you need those supportive jobs as well out there. So I think it's just a matter of let's like put agriculture in their mind to begin with. And then, you know, we might have more of a chance to continue that moving forward. But I think if someone is even remotely passionate about agriculture, like I would just say, it's just where everything comes from. Like you can think about anything in this room right now. It's all come from something to do with agriculture and everything is linked to it. So, you know, if you can go away and even if you like me, you know, go and live your corporate life and, you know, learn those skills that you need. Like I would just say, come back to the roots because that's what really matters. And so one other question, you can answer it with a question. What's something that you're trying to work through, trying to, you're curious about that I could maybe ask a future guest as a question? A future guest as a question. Mm. Do you know what? I would ask if you weren't doing what you did right now, what would you be doing and why the hell are you not doing it? (laughs) Like, I just think that with this whole idea about recruitment and people actually seeing what's out there, like I just think so many people can be doing what they're actually passionate about. And there's this whole misconception around or pressure, not misconception, pressure around if you love what you do, you know, you don't work a day in your life. And I 100% believe in that, but I think to get to that is so difficult. And there's a misconception that you have to know that straight away or you have to be like, you know, this is what I'm passionate about and so therefore, you know, that's what I'm going to do. And I think it's really easy to fall into something and then just stay there because it's comfortable. And I think think back to what did you want to do and what are you actually passionate about? And you might not necessarily be doing it now and that's okay. It doesn't mean you don't have to like what you do. You might enjoy it. But what will make you love what you do every day? And if that means, you know, doing something different, then why have you not considered it? Because I just think the world would be a better place if everyone was passionate about what they did. And it goes back to your point before. Like we spend so much bloody time at work. I just think the people who sit in kind of jobs that they hate and complain about, it's like, why wouldn't you do it? So a question I love asking people, if every job paid the same, what would you do? Yeah. Well, yeah, similar question. What would you do? Me? I would actually be an entrepreneur. I would go out. I would just try to solve this problem. And I think sometimes I'm like, I should just quit my job and just be a full-time entrepreneur. But, you know, there are real life responsibilities and <laughs> I have to feed myself. But, yeah, I think it would be really, really cool to... um yeah, build this solution and make it work. Because I think it can work, but there's a lot of work behind that. And you reckon you'll get there one day? I hope so. That's the goal? Yeah, I think so. You know, and if it's not limbo, I think it'll pivot to something else. So That's cool. That's the dream. Yeah, go and do it. Well, Malka, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. It did take us a couple of goes, but I'm not mad about having a couple of conversations with you. So thank you. (laughs) No, that's all good. Thank you. Well... That's it for another episode from us here at Humans of Agriculture. We hope you're enjoying these podcasts and, well, if you're not, let us know. Hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com. Get in touch with any guest recommendations, topics, or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. Say up.